Hey there, welcome to, uh, I don't even remember what number, Just welcome to an installment of We've Been Had, where uh, we discuss or even debate albums for your listening pleasure. I am Keith Pilly. And I'm Chad Cook. And uh, the deal, of course, is that we both take turns picking an album, and uh, you know, then we go off and listen to it, and... You know, read about it, whatever, and then we dig into it. This time around, it was Chad's pick, and uh, your pick was? <laughs> My pick was the Jim Sullivan album, UFO. Uh, and just just to kind of all cards on the table, uh, I chose this because, uh, number one, I love the backstory, and I love uh, mysteries. I think, honestly, when... When they find, like, D.B. Cooper's corpse, like, a little piece of me is probably going to die. Yep. And then maybe, like, 10% to mess with Keith. <laughs> maybe 15. Well, you know, mission accomplished. <laughs> I felt messed with. Um, yeah, I wrote down some, uh, some real quick tombstone info on the album before we get into all that. So this thing was released 1969 on Moni. Is that how it's pronounced? Moni? Moni? Micro-label created, created just to release this album. Mission accomplished. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hell of a legacy. Uh, produced by Al Dobbs, Chad Dulaney, and Norman Skolnick. None of those names mean anything to me. Yeah, um, I, I, I enjoy that in every, like article about this uh about this album they they made a big point of saying that he was he's friends with a lot of movie stars and the only one they ever named was harry dean stanton well the only one you need (laughs) if if you're rolling with harry dean stanton like you've maxed out it's like saying yeah i was you know hanging out with all the great vikings (laughs) well i mean ahmad rashad was there (laughs) Better him than Matt Burke. That's true. That's a good point. Oh. Um, do you... Uh, I've got a note here for the, the description section. Do you care to describe this album at a high level? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the easiest way to describe it is... I mean, the album is called UFO. There's a croony ballad named UFO uh. on the... And the guy disappeared under mysterious circumstances in the desert. Like, what more do you need? <laughs> I mean, it, you know, it, it sounds like all of that would lead you to expect it sounds, I guess. So, I mean, like, do, does this not sound like a starter, like somebody, like for an English, like an English lit class or maybe not, or creative writing? You know, you just put this up on the table. He leaves L.A. in March 1975 with $120 in his pocket. So he starts driving in a VW Bug. 15, 15 hours later, he's outside of Santa Rosa, New Mexico. Checks into a local motel. Soon after that, his car is found. No trace. Go. His acoustic guitar in the front seat, proving he did not leave willfully or intentionally. I, you know, I, honestly, it sounds like it, it's like an X-Files episode. I know, right? It's... Uh, it, and so this is what is difficult for me is I sometimes have trouble separating things that I like conceptually from things that I like actually. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to spoil the review, but there, there is a lot of that here. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, I think, and, and, 
you know, we can we can kind of. Well, I'm sure we'll talk more about this later. But you look at did back to back years. You got two very trippy, spacey albums recorded. Right? Are you going where I think you're going? You're right. Sixty-eight. William Shatner, the Transformed Man. <laughs> After that, he claims to see a UFO in the Mojave Desert. Later recants. <laughs> 1960, Jim Sullivan records UFO. Does not recant. Disappears. <laughs> Only two data points, but I think it's clear if you call down the thunder with a cosmic poem and you don't recant. <laughs> you get elevated. I mean, I don't know. Maybe right now Jim Sullivan is orbiting the Earth, you know, looking like a big fetus staring down. Yeah, I mean, I so like, I'm reasonably sure that he died in the desert, but you know that one percent just keeps me. Yeah, you know, you know, who knows? I mean, maybe he's the CFO of Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> so I was gonna. I mean, I you know, I was also gonna bring out Shatner and the Transformed Man, and maybe it's too early for this, but if Shatner's on the table, um, you know, let's do this now. Yeah. Of of the two um, spaced out, you know, UFOs in the desert albums, which which do you prefer? I prefer this one. Um, yeah, but I mean, I think you know, like the William Shatner one is funnier because it's yeah. it's like either it's either like an Andy Kaufman style gag. <laughs> Which I really don't think is the case, personally. Nothing else in the man's life indicates he's capable. Or it's, like, just an example of unchecked ego that, like, no one had the guts to say, yeah, you know, Bill, maybe maybe we don't put this out. And then everything else in his life indicates that that's the case. So Occam's razor here. I just think it's just, and maybe that's... I mean, maybe it's the time, like the late '60s. Like, there's a lot of drugs being consumed. Maybe it's, it, maybe there are a ton of these spacey albums that we're just not familiar with. Well, I so another another when we dig into the music more, a guy I'm gonna bring up a lot. Like, do you know Lee Hazelwood at all? Mm-hmm. He's like, um, is he related to Lee Greenwood? He's much cooler than Lee Greenwood. So he, but he, he like this album is kind of his kind of thing, except his. You know, he was like this drugged out Hepcat country guy. Um, but his MO was he would like hook up with, you know, hot young women and do duets with them. So, <laughs> but but they're generally pretty good and interesting. So, like, you know, he, he did a bunch of work with Nancy Sinatra that's really cool. Um, and uh, he did an album or at least a single with. Uh, and Margaret, that I, you know, I don't know if I'd say it's really cool, but it's it's more interesting than like an Anne Margaret country single would be. And yeah, I, I didn't even know Anne Margaret was a singer. I, I mean, <laughs> you know, it's debatable. Is this is this like the Scarlett Johansson like Tom Waits covers thing? Pretty like, much, again, yeah. Nobody's like, yeah, maybe, uh, maybe not do that. Yeah. That's uh, it's that, but uh, but I guess my point, you know, like like Lee Hazelwood is 
doing the same kind of stuff as this. So like this definitely is a thing that's in the water. Yeah, I I think this is kind of not too different from what Graham Parsons was doing. Um, I think Graham Parsons did it a lot better. But <laughs> well, I think I think that Graham Parsons' voice is a lot more. I don't know. Uh, Graham Parsons just has is a little more raw yeah and and just as i mean the that and the, i think the songs are better yeah so i think you know the the background of this album better than i do but let, is it correct then that sullivan's in la and there are people around him who are just like this guy's a genius we gotta get this made and they you know bring in the the wrecking crew like the the a-list session people and so like, like this was this was the result of people looking at him and being like we have to yeah, this is lightning we got to get this in a bottle is that yeah and, and i mean the reason that the reason that he well a reason that he disappeared was that he was actually moving to nashville because he thought he'd be more successful in the country music scene which <laughs> you know knowing i mean just given that like anyone with any hint of weirdness was running from Nashville at the time. Um, In the 70s? Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, he should have been heading to Austin. Like, if he was going to have a prayer, it would be, like, link up with Willie Nelson and Waylon Jennings. And I mean, I think there's just this, you know, kind of... You're kind of in no man's land a little bit if you were... If you're recording kind of country, country tones because, you know, people in L.A. wanted you to be more guitar-focused and... People in Nashville wanted you more country focused, and I just yeah. think some of these people just didn't really have a place to go. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's kind of same as it ever was. It's, you know, maybe it's a little better now, but it's still like if you, I don't know, it's a lot easier to make it if you exist in a market niche that already exists. I mean, I think though we'd be remiss as we're talking about Shatner and Jim Sullivan if we don't bring up the guy from Blink 182. Uh, who quit the band to study aliens and UFOs. Oh, I he was kind of in... I'd forgotten about this. This was in the news a couple of years ago, like, when when all the, like, the shit about the Navy yeah. seeing... Yeah. So what, Tom what, DeLong is his name. A lot of people credit him with, like, <laughs> getting the government to finally release that. You know, like... I guess that's one piece of solid goodness to come out of Blink-182. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think uh, it's just... I aspire to get to a place in my life where I can quit my job to study aliens and UFOs. <laughs> like, I feel like... Is it is it American movie where at the end credits, the, the one guy's like... His primary focus now is getting better at both karate and guitar. Yes! <laughs> Which, like... Yeah. I mean, role model for us all. I I aspire to that being my... You know, the only things on my to-do list. (laughs) Practice karate, practice riffs. Oh, um... So, I don't know, like, I've got a bunch of notes that are, like, album level. um, Even though they connect down to stuff within songs. But, like... You know, so... (laughs) You said this this choice was partly to mess with me, and uh, 
you know, I there's parts of this record that I liked a lot and parts that didn't land with me that well. Um, I think, I mean, one thing I was thinking about was like, a lot of it just sounds really kind of stiff and mannered. And there's this thing where like, if if they hired the wrecking crew, I actually think that worked against them. You know, if you've got like all these top flight musicians who want to play the part perfectly, but you know, are, are more interested in playing the part perfectly than uh, you know putting some emotion into it. Like that works really well if you've got Brian Wilson assembling this intricate machine. But if you're trying to do this weird loose country album then it turns into this weird uptight country album. Yeah, I mean I think and, I would I would like to see it done more like a Towns Van Zant album. Yeah. Um, I think that would be just more stripped down kind of you know just more raw. Yeah. Yeah, this just this calls out for like you know a bunch of really good country music weirdos to be doing it and not like you know, the best musicians in L.A. with strings and flutes at their disposal. It's, um, it seems to me like an album that, like, the guys in the Flaming Lips would be really into. Yeah, I, I think you could just... <laughs> I, I think we could just take that as given <laughs> that they're really into this. So it's interesting, because I... And one of the reasons that I stumbled upon this is that I was briefly in a vinyl record club where each month they would send you uh, a record that they build as like the best of the crate diggers right yeah so you don't have to go to the record store and dig through like we're gonna send you the and unfortunately like good concept uh but unfortunately it kind of devolves into like the pitchfork media review section where like yeah. they send you the most obscure thing that they can find and like yeah um, and so this was one of those choices. Okay. Um, and, you know, I mean, compared to some of the other ones, I, I actually think, you know, this one's one of the better ones that they sent me. You know, it, it, even the parts that didn't land with me super well, like, there's no part of this that's, like, objectionable. I'm, you know, I'm not just like, fuck you, Jim Sullivan. I'm glad you're out there or up there or wherever you are. Um, it is an album that I think lends itself more to vinyl just because I think you kind of have to let it roll. Yeah. Um, and I, maybe this, I, I probably say this every time, every episode that we have, but I feel like I get, when I'm listening to stuff on Spotify, I get kind of skip happy. Yeah, it's it's very easy to. And so like this is, I mean, not so much the first side, but the second side of the album that has uh, Highways, UFO, um, so natural on it. It's yeah. just one that I can put on and just sort of unwind. Yeah. The spoiler, like you've just described, like the the sweet spot of the album for me. Like that's no, it's those are those are really good songs. It's just it's. I think had I gotten it as a CD for whatever reason, I would have. I don't even think I would have given it the, you know, like I wouldn't oh. have listened to the whole thing. God, it's it's so easy to imagine, you know, back when we lived in that house in Linden Hills with, you know, we're four of us, and we just all, like, come back and buy CDs, and, like, like so often you'd buy something that was like, yeah, I found this weird fucking thing, and then, like, oh, fuck that, you know, yeah. after one listen, and, like, this... <laughs> 
it's easy to see this falling into that. Yeah, I mean, I I remember I bought Ziggy Stardust and I like barely listened to it, and then I listened to it again when I was like thirty, and I'm like, this is amazing. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I, I just wasn't this, ready for it. Yeah, age twenty five. Maybe you're just now becoming ready for Jim Sullivan. Uh, <laughs> yeah, another thing that really struck me about this is that like. Uh, so I didn't I didn't write down which studio they recorded in, but if they had the Wrecking Crew, it you know it had to be somewhere decent. Yeah, but for all the great musicians that were hired for this, like the recording sounds like shit most of the time. Like it's really thin. There's just there's no body to it. His voice is recorded pretty well, but like, the instruments, not the drums sound like someone's hitting a cardboard box most of the time. Not what you want in terms of your drums. Yeah, I don't know. It's just that that aspect is weird to me. Yeah, do you, I mean, do you find it strange at all that that you have like you have these? You know, I mean, you mentioned Graham Parsons earlier, but you have these these just kind of wild things that happen to these people. Yeah, and like, what what do you think that is? Is it just well, I think it's. I think life is full of opportunities for wild shit to happen to people, and you know, if you just if you wind up outside of the very constrained, you know, normal life, like you, it's just you know, you're raising the chances that one of the weird, random, fucking disasters that's out there is going to happen to you. Yeah, you know, if you if you quit your job to pursue karate and guitar, um, you know, your chances of dying in a weird karate accident would go way up. This is true. Uh, Yeah, I just I don't know it. uh, And I mean, I think for me that that sort of puts just the, you know, like he essentially recorded this uh, and then recorded another album and then, you know, walked into the desert like. Mm -hmm. It just it makes you think kind of makes you maybe pry into the lyrics a little bit more than you would have. Yeah. Um, and you know he writes these kinds of songs that are really sort of just sort of like you know I don't want to say spacey again, but this, yeah. like really ethereal yeah. about you know like you know just sort of contemplation and yeah. you know then you know you just wonder what was going on in his head. Is it you know, was he was he struggling with with you know depression, and that's that's why he was writing these comp, these complicated songs, or I don't know. Yeah. Just, uh, it's you know, it's it, it's interesting because you don't you know you don't do that with like Jimi Hendrix. You're not like yeah. You're not like digging through the lyrics. I well, I I might have brought this up on our Hendrix show, but. I remember when I was young being offended. Like, you know, I was still like, I love Jimi Hendrix, but um, I was reading some interview with him and he talked about how, you know, he didn't, he never wanted to talk about anything heavy in his lyrics. He wanted them to be the, the, the lightest element on earth. He wanted them to be helium, um, which is not, not the lightest element you know, on earth. I mean, second. Um, <laughs> You know, but I, but at, at the time, uh, aside from being mad about that, I was also like, your lyrics should matter. You should be addressing things. Um, 
I think when you let that go, like, because I was that way too. Yeah. Like, you know, like, there, there's got to be room for a lot of different things in music. Like, there's yeah. got to be room for whimsy and you know, yeah. not everything has to be, you know, uh, you know, like a Billy Bragg song. Yeah. There is a place for humor in music. There's no place for Humor has no place in music. <laughs> uh, well, do you wanna you wanna dig into some yeah. songs? Sure. So, what what's your stance on Jerome? Well, uh, I mean, it's fine, I guess. <laughs> I I guess if I was producing this album, I probably would have put the the kind of the hot spot further up in the track listing. Yeah. Because I feel like you're you just. You're running the risk of of kind of having a having a situation where people are just like listening to the first side and then it's not bothering with the second side. Well, that's we, you know, I, listening to this around the house, you know, the past week to get ready. Um, it, Rebecca keeps mentioning that like it's just kind of hard to differentiate songs a lot of the time, especially on the first side. You know, it just kind of sounds like, oh, yeah, he's doing that again. Yeah. And, I, and uh, you know, I've heard that I've heard that complaint from a lot of... I think it's more applicable here. Uh, I've had people tell me that uh, Bob Mould's, all Bob Mould songs sound the same, which I guess I could kind of see. Yeah. I mean... Similar guitar style. Yeah, they're definitely all, like, playing with variations on... Yeah. I don't know. I just, uh, I guess maybe I'm... I, I'm guilty of that myself. I tried to listen to the new Sunvolt album, and I don't think it's you that are guilty there. <laughs> I'm like, okay, you know, I'm like let's let's spice it up a little let's, bit here, guys. Let's do something interesting. Find, like I know you're capable of it. Find something different. Uh, well, so my, my notes with Jerome, I think this is interesting. Um, I think this opens this song opens like an early St. Vincent song, like. It's the exact same thing that, uh, you know, that we heard back when we were talking about her, you know, like songs would open with some strings and it's kind of, yeah, to the point where like, I wonder if she was, if she knew this album and was chasing the sound, like that's not inconceivable. And then it pivots to sounding like that dude Lee Hazelwood, I think. Um... And I, it jumps out at me. There's a flute in this. You never, you never expect. Yeah, there's, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of country cosmic rock with flute. I, I, I don't think, don't think Graham Parsons ever busted out a flute. Um, I guess I found the strings to be kind of unnecessary. Yeah, I. Um, it's not that like again, like if you've got Brian Wilson, you know, setting up strings, working it in. It's going to add a lot. And like the Flaming Lips, sometimes we'll throw strings in and it adds a lot. But most of the time it doesn't, you know. I mean, there are examples of, of great additions of strings. Like, I feel like that, uh, you know, the, the like Paul McCartney version of Live and Let Die with the, that, with the orchestra is yes. like, like, that is an amazing piece of music. Yeah. You just feel the power of all these instruments, but here it just feels like they they had someone who could do that. So yeah. they decided, okay, let's deploy them. Well, we we got a couple of violas. We got to give them something to do. So, yeah, that's. Um, 
another thing that I think is pretty cool, like, I liked this, and I think this is an artifact of, of having, you know, great L.A. session musicians, but through the whole album, there are, like, these really active, kind of funky bass lines that, like, don't, you know, they're not country at all. Um, you know, not that this is even explicitly a country record, but it's country tinged, but then it's got these, like, I don't know, they're not quite like Jackson 5 bass lines, but they're in the neighborhood. It's Yeah, it's got, it, it's almost like if you took a, a folksy record and sprinkled in a little bit of country, and then yeah. just some weird, like, miscellaneous, like... I don't know, like Parliament or something, yeah. like tuned down and a, a notch. Yeah, I guess that's yeah. I, that's that weirdness is probably part of the cult appeal of this record. You know, I mean that and like the story around it. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think one of the, and I, I'm guilty of this too, but I think sometimes you, you get the the record that people are into because it's, you know. It's like gravity's rainbow, right? Like yeah. people are into it because it has become a thing. And so you've got to like take your run at the thing, and then you can say, "Oh yeah, oh no, UFO." I let me give you my opinion on UFO. I mean, I can I can do that. I yeah. but I mean, I think the first. I mean, I might consider flipping the two sides if I was producing it. Like, yeah. Because I think you. You want the it's like a it's like a baseball batting order, right? You want the big bats, you want the big bats to come up as much as possible. Yeah, and I don't think they accomplished that here. I agree. Well, that's you know song two like doesn't do much for me. To me, it feels the sentiment of the song feels like it's some kind of like sovereign citizen ode. Um, you know, I don't think there are actually lyrics about fringe on the flag but it, it feels like there ought to be um that one so there's this thing i don't have the mid i don't have the music theory to articulate this but like on plain as your eyes can see especially and just kind of throughout the whole thing the vocal melodies that sullivan sings sound like this thing that people did around 1970 that people don't do now that like I don't know, like the Nilsson song that's in Midnight Cowboy. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know. I can't articulate, like... But, like, if you listen to Plain As Your Eyes Can See and then listen to a bunch of Nilsson, like, I feel like you're going to get a little bit of the same construction. Yeah, it's, it's strange, though, because that, that happens with some music, but, like, 68, 69 is kind of, like... Is like the gold standard for, you know, for like music. Yeah, like when the Stones and Zeppelin were, yeah, were good. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, and like relevant and like actually, and that stuff doesn't sound dated to me. Like, right. Yeah. Just some of I don't know what about it, but a lot of the songs on the front side of this just sound a little bit. I don't know. They just sound a little bit old. They do. Yeah. And not necessarily in a good way. Not like when you hear like a like a blues recording and it's all it's a shitty recording and it's all, you know, creaky and Yeah. You know, it's just got a lot of soul in it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean you kinda hit on something that is a bummer that like if you're gonna have this ethereal, otherworldly, you know, album draped in mystery, 
it sucks for that to sound dated. Like, yeah. mystery should sound timeless. And, you know, like, I know he didn't sit down and be like, I'm going to craft this album to be mysterious. But, um, you know, that would be the better outcome. Would it be a better outcome if he had, if he had like, what's that guy's name? Joseph Campbell? If he had, like, gotten oh. Joseph Campbell? And, <laughs> it worked out. Like, let's talk about myth. Like, how do I make <laughs> this a, how do I make this an epic? I, the thing, as you're saying that, it just like I, I would bet. I don't know. I would bet one of my guitars that at least one terrible group has sat down and consciously tried to build an album around Joseph Campbell. And like, I also guarantee nothing good has come out of any of that. I, f- I feel like it's gonna be like sticks. Yeah, like, I mean like somebody terrible has been like like we got it. This song is the belly of the beast. I guess I, I guess you could make a case that like 2112 could be a, an album that Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all and and you know you you've proved the case there. Nothing good comes out of well, it. Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean it's 2112 is hard because it's like really good musicianship. But it's just it's a kind of an ass album. I don't know. It's pretty ass. I mean, like there there's Rush that I like, but that ain't that ain't it. Yeah, wow. that's a that's a rough one. But I, but I do wonder though. Like, do do you think that there are bands that are are conscious of that? That are like, okay, we've got to make we got to make our pet sounds. Yeah, definitely. I think that's and you know. I think that's a double-edged sword because, like, if you go out, you know, I don't know. Ambition can spur you to great things, but it can also, like, totally fuck with your head and, you know, make you totally lay an egg. Like, I'm not an expert on him, but my impression is that part of what's up with Kanye West is that every time he sits down, he, you know, he's doing his equivalent of, like, time to make my next pet sounds. And, you know, just doing that drives him further up his own ass with each iteration. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just, yeah. it's fascinating to me. But I I think the, you know, a lot of my thoughts about the first side of this album are just that, are just wishing that it was reversed. Yeah. So, I mean, um, you know, I've got my notes laid out here song by song, but do you even want to... Do you want to do you want to ditch that format? Is that, yeah, is I mean, that, I think I, I think we should focus on the let's focus on the positive. That I sounds mean, good to me. I mean, I think people people can make their own decisions about the, <laughs> but I mean, if you I feel like if you want to stick with it, I would start with highways. Highways is I agree. That is, you know, actually, um, I got I have a couple of just scattered notes about things that I oh, like. Yeah. Oh sure. Um. That song, Roll Back the Time, like, I kind of hate most of it because I feel like he's, uh, I don't know. The bit about, it's a fine clock, like, Jesus Christ. Like, yeah, I mean, but, what is it, 18, it was like 1650? Yeah. Like, it's a fine clock. Like, nobody talks like that. Yes. That, but. It's kind of jaunty. I don't Yeah. I do like later on in that song. There's a, there's a bit where there's a line where he says like, "He gave me the business while I sat there grinning. Thanks a lot." And like, 
I love that line. That's a great yeah. line. Yeah, I mean, it's... I think you've picked out the one fun thing about, <laughs> about Side 1. What, what that particular line made... This is so stupid, and it, this is here's a digression, but what that reminds me of is, like, I just remember watching a football game. I remember this. I was the, there for this. The, he, <laughs> giving him the business. Him the, so, like... <laughs> The ref calls a personal foul. It's like not, it's like not a thing. Personal foul, 25. And he starts like miming, like giving someone a noogie. He was giving Man, and that, like, if football was all that, I would watch a lot more of it. Yeah, I mean, not to, not to, well, I mean, I guess the show is basically one big digression, but, you know, like, that was kind of pre-CTE, so it was like, <laughs> yeah. like there was, I don't know, football was just more fun. There, there was this innocence to yeah. it. Yeah. Um, the only other pre, oh, with rollback the time, I guess, I also had a note that I think is right, or I, I guess I'll stand by it. The song does have like a nice swing and beat that is kind of the beat that dominates the good half of the album. And I feel like that was a song that Graham Parsons... You know, like, if Graham Parsons had covered that, you'd have something pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, th- that would be interesting to to hear. I mean, there are a lot of people that I think I would like to see take a crack at this album that, yeah. that might be able to reimagine it. It's kind of a Doug Sam situation yeah. where, like, maybe it's just there to be a template for other people. So I do have this other note, you know, as if we're going to head into the better section. Like, I don't like the song Rosie that much either. Just the way he keeps repeating Rosie is is weird. But that the chorus of that one, like, he starts going into this weird... I, the chord structure of the chorus is really strange. And, like, I don't know, he's not... He's, he's not in a normal, like, just normally working in a major key. And I feel like there's more and more of that on the album as it goes from there. And so, like, it's kind of that, that same thing with, you know, you were talking about sequencing and, like, you, you should start out with the heavy hitters. This is this weird thing where it's, like, you're halfway through the album and then, like, there's this just, you know, in a song that's not that good, there's the curtains part a little bit, and you start to see what's going to be kind of cool, but it's still... Yeah, it's a, to, that's a weird that's a weird thing. So just out of curiosity, what is your favorite Rosie song? Springsteen, Rosalita, come out tonight? Probably, yeah. Tom Waits, Rosie? No. Um... <laughs> It's probably Rosalita. So the dumbest, this is... Surfer Rosa? That's not a song, but it's an album. Hell of an album. Um, So this is just fucked up and stupid. Um, What the repeated Rosie thing here, and it's the whole, like, trope of, you know, Rosie in music, what it actually makes me think of, I guess, is indirectly Neil Diamond. But... Not because I like the song Cracklin' Rosie. Um, <laughs> because there's this, like, in the late 70s, early 80s, there was this stretch where they were trying to make the X-Men super gritty. <laughs> and, uh, so there's this fucking great panel where somehow the X-Men 
are trapped in Edmonton. And Wolverine's walking around dressed up as a cowboy because that's just how Wolverine dresses. Isn't he Canadian? Yeah. So, I mean, of course. And so he's walking around Edmonton um, reminiscing about how Edmonton used to be so much rougher, you know, and like he used to hang out at Cracklin' Rosie's. But, you know, now... And, so like whenever I hear Rosie in music, that's just I think of Wolverine smoking, dressed like a cowboy, thinking about some whorehouse where he used to hang out. That's that's got to be the only like you're the only person in the world who has picked up like a Neil Diamond callback in an in a 1970s X Men panel. <laughs> I, that's, that's some that's. That's like beautiful mind shit. I, I guarantee you're gonna get. <laughs> you you have never courted angry emails the way you are just now. <laughs> Wolverine as a posse. Yeah, I mean, look, I I think I actually think the original uh, X Men movies casting of Hugh Jackman was so good that, like, that's Wolverine now. For yeah, me. agreed. Like. like not often do they just nail something like that, but I'm sure the comic book readers would just be like, "How can you say that? He's not even Canadian." I, I to be honest, I, I, my my corner of the comic world has always been pretty solidly pro pro Jackman Wolverine. I I think it's like um, I think <laughs> long term, you know, since we're going to be just faded to superhero movies for the rest of our lives, mm-hmm. I think it's going to be like a. Christopher Reeve Superman situation now where like you know they're gonna have to recast it and recast it and recast it but no one's ever gonna like measure up to the the first yeah I, I'm just excited to see who they get to play Apache Chief <laughs> I am I, so like I, I don't pay much attention to DC Comics um, I, I'm really I'm kind of out of the game entirely but I just wonder, knowing how the comics industry likes to take old problematic characters and, you know, rehabilitate them. I wonder if there's been any effort to, like, make Apache Chief not terrible. Like, less racist? <laughs> yeah. Good luck. Like, like they just... Uh, uh, I mean, like, I, I bet it's been done, you know. I, I doubt they've given him, like, the Apache Chief reboot book, but... You know, there's probably been some, I don't know, cameo appearance by a character who, you know, has like this semi-legitimate native name, and then you realize like, like oh fuck, that was Apache Chief. They, they cleaned him up. They... <laughs> I think I think that's just one of the things we should let go. Like, I, I like, think I that think is it's better just to just to cut the cord on that one. Mm-hmm. Like, it was a mistake. We're gonna move on. And maybe they have. Um, you know, it's entirely possible that would be the better outcome. Um, want to take a quick yeah, break yeah, and then get into the good half? Oh, okay, uh, we're back with the Canadian Exceptionalist Power Hour. <laughs> um, well, so let's jump into highways then. Uh, yeah. let's, let's get into the let's get to the point where the the flower opens up and gets weird. No, man, I feel like this I feel like this song is kind of where where it all starts, right? Because you have this like you know, you have this interesting backstory and then you have this you know, this song about, you know, the wide open highway. 
and it's yeah. got kind of this cool just vibe to it. Yeah, I like it. I don't. It's got another one of those kind of you know. I know it's not Saint Vincent esque since it was there first, but um, it feels like it's got the Saint Vincent esque string opening. But then it goes into like the weird stacking of chords, and I don't know. I've got you know. I've got a note. I've got nesting notes here saying to me the way it comes together feels kind of Bowie-esque but I also feel like me saying that is kind of like the joke about the guy who um, has only ever seen Boss Baby <laughs> describing another another movie as getting some real Boss Baby vibes here <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I think it was it maybe Malcolm Gladwell or somebody said that uh, you know to a he has some line like to a worm and mayonnaise the world is mayonnaise so. <laughs> but boss baby is funny <laughs> yeah the, you know like I, I, uh, you may have just identified like the one Malcolm Gladwell line that I, uh, yeah, th- that's a good line uh, I, I salute the enemy <laughs> yeah, I, that's not an endorsement of Malcolm Gladwell or any of the shit that he's pulled in the last decade. But a good line's a good line. That was a helpful construct for me. It is, yeah. I so I I feel like this. Uh, there's a lot of alienation on this album, and this song is like this. This sounds like a song that. Uh, you hear this and you're like, oh yeah, of course this guy disappeared in right. the desert. Yeah. It's, it's like shocker, it, it, and it doesn't it doesn't sound like an Uncle Tupelo song or a Sunvolt song, but like it's got the aesthetic of of kind of that hopelessness. Yeah, yeah, a lot of it. Yeah, I mean, looking for alienation. There's there's plenty. I uh, there's one thing. I about at about fifty seconds he's singing and I don't know if I don't know if he's like really worked up or if he just leaned into the mic, but he's he does this thing that like you occasionally hear Iggy Pop doing of just like getting so in that he's like blowing out the preamp on the mic and it sounds pretty rad. Like that's Yeah, I think I mean I honestly I mean now that you say that, I think that's what the first side needs is just like just like a little bit of passion yeah yes like just you know kind of punch it up a yeah bit and especially and, and it you know the way the album was put together it's all on him to provide that because like you're gonna get nothing but like stately perfection out of the out of the instruments so like you need to be losing your shit on the vocal mic to just to give this stuff some heart and yeah i mean i I, I don't want to have the, the Rush argument every show, but, uh, you know, like, there are some Rush songs to me that sound very mechanical because mm-hmm. they're so, like, they're just so proficient that... Yeah. Uh, and there are there are Rush songs where they have a lot of fire. And, and like, that's that's what I like is, you know... Yeah. Like, I, I don't like the, you know... And that's what the first side feels like, like, mechanical. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the other direction that I think you could take that... Um, so, like, the season of Cocaine and Rhinestones that's running right now, Co is talking about, uh, you know, the uh, it, George Jones, but also talking a lot about the Nashville A-Team and, you know, production in Nashville and the Nashville sound. And, um, you know, there's this thing where people say they hate the Nashville sound, 
And you know, he's put a lot of work into debunking what that is. But but functionally, I think what people are saying when they say they hate that is they hate the sound of really polished musicians playing parts perfectly. Um, you know, again, like the failure mode for that, like that can be great if you've got that behind Patsy Cline and she's like singing her head off and there's, mm-hmm. you know, um, but if you've got that, you know, with someone at the mic who doesn't really, isn't really bringing it, like, you know, it, it's the same thing where it's just, it's mechanistic and it's kind of dead. Um, I don't know, you know, like that, you just, if you're going to have tight musicianship somehow puts a lot of pressure on the singer, I guess. Is, is yeah, I mean, James, James Brown had really tight musicianship, mm-hmm. right? But he, but he was fucking yeah, bringing right? it. He's, he's bringing it home. Yeah. He's, you know, I think you need, you know, not to, not to co-opt your Uncle Lyle, but, like, you need a front man. <laughs> you do. Yeah. Oh. Uh, you know, so it's good. I, yeah. We've we've talked about this before too. How it's always, you know, albums are almost never recorded in the order that you listen to them. But it's hard not to like build that narrative in your head as you listen. And so like I don't think it's actually the case that they recorded these in this order. And this is the point where he like loosens up. But that's what it feels like. It does, it does feel like that. And I mean, the reason that you think that is because. Presumably, the song selection and ordering is an intentional choice. Yeah. And so somebody sat down and said, we're going to sequence it like this. And, you know, it's just, it, it's an odd choice. It's an odd choice. Oh, anything else on highways? No. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, I, and, and I think the, the interesting thing is just, to me, is is really just the vibe that it starts to that these three songs specifically start to like you know like like bring out this vibe of somebody who's in like deep contemplation of their life and kind yeah. of taking stock of where they're at uh, and I guess that's what I like about it is that I agree yeah uh, how about the uh, how about the signature track UFO well I mean as we said earlier you know like you either you either accept <laughs> you either broadcast you know your your belief in aliens, or you recant, and at best are considered like the eccentric guy from Star Trek and T.J. <laughs> Hooker. So I'm kind of catching in your tone here. Like it, you, you tell me if I'm wrong here. I, I get the feeling that you would like to uh, officially, like, give Shatner, you know, an, an honorific. Start calling him the coward William Shatner. <laughs> I would love that. Except, like, you know, like, knowing what a prick he is, he'd probably sue me for... <laughs> I say, to the coward William Shatner, I say, bring it on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I, I say, Tom DeLong, your move. I mean, are you going to... What are you going to do? Yeah. You know, when they kick at your front door. <laughs> <laughs> How are you going to come? Which I guess uh, I should stop referencing that song because in the current political climate, like, it it really has a different meaning. I think it had that meaning. That, uh, so, you know, big diversion. But uh, I was reading, like, yet another book about The Clash, and it talked about how, like, when Simon and brought um, 
And when he brought the Guns of Brixton in, everyone was like, these lyrics are fucking great. You know, you know like this is really arresting. Um, but you have to be the one to sing this. Because Strummer and Jones are both like, I am not, you know. I'm not touching this. Yeah, like th- these, this sentiment is not coming out of my mouth. You sing it, Paul. And, uh, you know. Like, it is a great song. It's it fucking is one undeniable. Of my yeah, somehow it's it, it manages to be great despite rhyming Ivan and surviving. Yeah, that part is weird, right? It's awesome. Like, like <laughs> it it shouldn't work, but it works. It's like the it's like the Steve Earle trick where you just kind of like, or Bob Dylan, where you just kind of uh, mush mouth it yeah, until right. it works. Yeah, yeah. They're gonna oh. pin this triple mid. <laughs> you know, like uh, the greats make language. Come to them. That's right. Uh, back to UFO. Um, I think this song is a really cool, like, it's got a cool swing and beat to it that, again, like, shows up more and more in the second half of the album. It suddenly things, like, have kind of the same beat as a fucking Bob Wills song, which is great. Like, yeah. everyone should have have a Bob Wills beat. <sighs> song really prefigures the mystery. Bob Wills and the Roswell Playboys? <laughs> yes. Lights in the sky. <laughs> um, this one's got some weird... I couldn't tell... I mean, so they're clearly not looped because this was like pre-loops, but um, I don't know. There's like flutes going on and it sounds like there are two of them playing kind of like cyclical parts over each other. Um, there's... Where the fuck was that earlier? Like, that's a cool, weird arrangement. It is a cool trick, especially if you're recording it. You know, you're not able to, like, stack tracks on top of each other. Yeah. It, uh, it, it, I don't know. Did you download the lyrics to UFO? No, I just. Man, there's some, there's some interesting stuff here. What do you got? I'm checking out the show with a glassy eye, looking at the sun dancing through the sky. Did he come by UFO? <laughs> I, I just, you know, I believe glassy eye is referenced in three separate verses. Hmm. So it's like, I, I don't know. I honestly think it may be one of those songs that's better not to not to look at the lyrics. Like, yeah, I, it, I kind of that that was. It was like I would say thirty percent laziness on my part and seventy percent just like. I kind of like just having these like weird, you know. Um, oh fuck! I lost the word. <sighs> Impressionistic idea of like some of the lyrics that I can hear, and I don't know. The nice thing about that is like you can reimagine it. It's like a choose your own adventure. Yeah, exactly. The song kind of turns into, you know, yeah, it turns into like this Rorschach dust of like. You hear eight words, and then your brain, like, assigns its own weird fucking baggage to that. Um, Another thing I thought about this song. So, you know, uh, this song is when I started thinking it, but I think it kind of stands for most of the rest of the album. This is where this sounds less like Lee Hazelwood to me and more like that band Love. Oh, yeah. You know, like like really a lot of the same vibe of kind of 
a little laid back, but a lot going on and, you know, kind of spacey. Yeah, I had not put that together, but yeah, love is a good, is a good comp. Um, you know, that, uh, there's that, that love song alone again. Yeah. Uh, where there's a Calexico cover of that song that's yeah. almost indistinguishable from. Uh, that that song just has this weird like magical ability that like everyone covers it and pretty much sounds like love. There's a fucking version by The Damned that also sounds pretty much like love, and it's The <laughs> Damned. Um, it, it wouldn't disappoint me if like you know one of the good songs from this like kind of creep crept out and became something everybody covered. Yeah, and I mean, I think this song, it, and I, like, it's not intentional, obviously, because he didn't know he was going to walk into the desert. But, or did he? Or did he? But this song kind of builds the myth of the whole thing, right? Like, yeah, you know, this song about this this song about highways, and then this song about UFOs, and then this song about funerals. It's pretty weird. Yeah, it's. Mm-hmm. It's a hell of a coincidence if it's... Uh... You know, I mean, to, to step into the bummer zone slightly, people can carry suicidal ideation for years, and so I, maybe he, like, you know, I don't know, maybe he had this idea of, like, if I ever go, that's how I'm going to do it. And, you know, if that was in his head as he was yeah. writing the album, like, maybe it is, like, a direct prefigure. I guess if that's the case, it's kind of sad that no one was able to, like, get him the help that he needed. Yeah, you know. You know, like... If, if, if someone, like, goes to the trouble of creating a fucking album that says, like, this is what I'm going to do, this is how I'm going to do it, this is, you know, like... Yes. Someone should pick up on a signal there. I mean, not to, not to you know, do yet another digression, but that's one of the challenges I have with Nevermind... And, uh, I mean, more so in utero, is that it's hard for me to listen to those albums without... And I, and, and I think it's on my mind because they've been playing it a we're, lot yeah, since we're, the 30th anniversary. Of, we're living in the Cobain necropolis right now. But it's hard. I guess in utero is the one that's really hard for me because it's hard for me not to listen to that as like a cry for help. Right, right. It's It's... Yeah, you don't have to dig under the surface. It's right there on the surface. It is the surface. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, it it's, just, uh, it's, it's, it's a great album. It's just really hard for me to listen to because I, you know, I can't help but think about that, that you know, someone should have heard that and tried to get him help. Yeah. And maybe they did. They did. There was a bigger digression here, but... Um, Michael Azarad had... A, I should have sent this to you... Um, Wrote an article for the New Yorker last week, you know, for the Nevermind anniversary, just where he talked about how, like, he ended up getting to know Cobain pretty well, um, you know, because he was, like, the writer Cobain and Love would trust. And he talks about, like, trying to get him help and, you know, just how no one would help him because in most cases people... You know, just people had other shit on their mind, or there was money to be made, or at one point he fucking asked Pete Town, like Azarad ended up talking to Pete Townsend, um, and is like, "Hey, Pete, you have dealt with substance abuse and gotten, you know, gotten through it. Could you talk to Kurt Cobain? I think he might hurt himself." 
And Pete Townsend is just like, oh, I didn't feel like it at the time. I felt bad about it afterwards. And like, Jesus fucking Christ, like, what does it take to get this guy some help? Yeah, man, it just is, I don't know, but it's just always in the back of my mind whenever I hear, whenever I hear that record. It's, it's hard for me to... Yeah, I agree. Um, and now to totally lighten it up, <laughs> yeah. we're going to talk about a song about funerals. So, how long did it take? So the song is so natural. How long did it take you to figure out this was a funeral song? Oh, first listen. But my brain works differently than other people's, <laughs> uh, and I have always had, and, and I'm sure a lot of people have complicated feelings about funerals. But yeah. um, I have always found it strange the things that people say that they think are comforting. Yes, Jesus Christ, yes. And one of the things that some people will say in like an open casket funeral is he you know, he or she looks so natural. Yeah. Yeah. Like how is that a po- how is that a positive? Yeah. I don't under I don't understand this. Who's being comforted by that? And uh and so I yeah, I mean this this is the song that really spoke to me because I you know, it, it number one it it's just nice to know that someone else has these sort of complicated funeral feelings about funerals. Yeah. And uh, number two, like, you know, I think, you know, like, as I contemplate my own mortality, like, when it's my time to go, I just, you know, like, I just want the wind to blow my ashes into Lake Superior. Like, that's yeah. what I want. Yeah. That. that... Like... Actually, me too. <laughs> but also, like, yeah, and you know, right in line. But um, now what you need to not do is record an album with you know two previous songs <laughs> discussing like the pathway there. Well, I, I'm not interested in getting there now, but it, I, I think it does describe uh, the. And it's hard for me to articulate, but it does describe just kind of, you know, the. Just like I, I don't want all of these weird social interactions on my behalf. Yeah. All these people having to have these weird conversations. Yeah. You know, like I want to avoid that, and that's kind of what the song says to me. Yeah, I, I think you're right. You know, it, it's fucking fascinating to me how he talks about how he wants his ashes to disappear. You know, when he disappeared. Um, that. You know, I to me, I think that's probably just the alienation speaking again. But but, you know, who knows? Who knows what was in his mind? I my my just journey listening to the song was so stupid because, you know, I, I feel like this one starts out generic and then like kind of the weirdness builds in in a way that I think is really good and effective. And like, if I say it sounds generic, I think like it was good in this case because it sets up the weirdness. But so, like, I'm listening to it, and I'm like, ooh, this one's getting kind of weird, yeah. You know, and then I'm just sitting there with, like, you know, the look of an idiot on my face, thinking, like, gosh, this sounds like it might be about a funeral. Could it be about a funeral? And, like, it's so fucking obviously about a funeral, but, like, it, it, it took me forever to, like, I don't know, to confirm that to myself. Well, I think you, you're, you're probably listening to it, you know, for, like... I don't know. I this is just the way my brain works. Is I always am trying to decode things, and 
Which sometimes leads me to decode things that are not there at all. No, well, that's that's why Rorschach tests exist. <laughs> but, but in this case, I mean, I think those. I don't know for whatever reason those three songs just have really spoken to me as a like I think they're they're really good. I agree. That's that that is the garden spot of this I, album. I don't. I mean, I think I would have been fine if it was a four-song EP and you throw, you choose the fourth song. Oh, I, I have a fourth song. <laughs> that We will get there. <laughs> Before we get there, though, so it's weird to me that like you've got like three really good songs, and then I, I honestly kind of fucking hate Johnny. <laughs> I think Johnny is, again, it sounds like it's just like trying hard to be psychedelic. It sounds like it's just... Following Lee Hazelwood around, asking to hold his jock. I fucking hate the songwriting trope of singing about a kid and referring to them as Little Johnny. You know, like, you can do that if you're Chuck Berry and you're talking about Johnny Be Good. And no one else, you know, like, you just, if you're not Chuck Berry, fuck off. Don't bother. You sound like an idiot. Do you hate that St. Vincent song where she talks about her friend Johnny? I, that bugged me at first, you know, along those lines. But then, like, as she kept doing it, and it became clear that like this is a person in her life that she keeps having to go back to, I, I got kind of slowly won over to that. But but like the first time I heard it, I was like, "What the fuck? Don't do that." It helps that she's not talking about a kid. I think there should be a limit to how many uh, first-person songs you can put on an album, right? Like. Yeah, Jerome, Rosie, Johnny, Johnny, like, yeah, I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't know why, but just what's the, what's the, what, sorry to cut you off. No, what, yeah. What's the replacement song? Johnny's gonna die. Yeah. Did okay. you hate that? No, because that's okay. fucking awesome. Like, <laughs> I, I get the feeling that Westerberg is. You know, I feel like Westerberg's on my side with that song. Oh, that fucking rules. I what was I gonna say? I don't remember what I was gonna say. It was a digression. I'm sure, it was prophetic. It was. It was not prophetic. What the fuck was it? I don't remember. We're gonna talk about your fourth. If we made this into a four-song EP, what your fourth song? Well, would be? let's let's get into that because okay. we have not yet talked about the best song in this album. <laughs> Fucking Sandman, I think, crushes everything else on this. I think you're thinking of Enter Sandman on Metallica? <laughs> I am not. Fucking, the, the last song in this is so much... Like, I like the, the three songs we just talked about. But, like, to me, Sandman is... Just towers over the rest of this album. It's so good. I guess... And I like Sandman as a song... I do think I am poisoned by the Enter Sandman <laughs> because, like, when I was in college, uh, it would inevitably when I would walk into the door, someone would be playing that. Yeah, song. that that was the nineties. God damn it! I lived that too, and you know, fuck Enter Sandman, fuck Metallica, honestly. But Jim Sullivan Sandman, like, fucking best swing on the album it's like it's got this great I don't know it, it's kind of like sinister it's kind of sleazy 
Um, he's none of those things any of the rest of the time. It's it, like it does seem like a weird addition. Like, and, and why do you put that last? Like, I I don't know where else you could put it because even. First. But but then like I guess then you're then you're the bulk of your albums can be a letdown. Yeah, and like even even the other three like the the you know the trilogy of really good songs like none of them sound like songs that would go after this. You know they sound like yeah that's true. I mean I feel like I feel like for whatever reason sometimes artists are willing to just like treat the last track as a you know as a swing for the fences type of yeah. Like I forget which Bob Mold album it is, but it has that Mega Man song. Yeah. You know that? Mega Manic. Yes, Mega Meg. Yeah. Not a good song, but like a, a full swing. You know, if we talk about most of his songs are variations on a theme, that one is not. Yeah. That's a new theme. I do not need to hear him rapping. <laughs> no. Oh God, no. Um, with Sandman, so like I, I. I, I know that one of my vices on this show is bringing up Van Halen. I, I don't but, see how that's a vice. Uh, thank you. Um, I mean, Sa- it's not like you're bringing up, like, you know, Winger or something. <laughs> you know, like. I just, you know, like, I, I, I am aware that I, I I do the boss baby thing with Van Halen, too. But uh, to me, Sandman sounds a lot like something Roth would have snuck in. On an early Van Halen album, you know, it sounds kind of like the intro to Ice Cream Man. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the things that I like about David Lee Roth is like he gets the whimsy of it. Yeah, you know? like he gets the he well, gets the kind of you know like Eddie Van Halen is the virtuoso, right? Like he's the guy who can just like blow your mind with, but you know, Roth kind of brings the. He brings the energy and he kind of brings the fun a little yeah. bit. Yeah. But, but, you know, again, it's like it's this fun that is a little sinister and a little sleazy, like or a lot sleazy. Yeah. Um, I mean, Hagar does too, I guess. He kind of brings the fun too. Yeah. I, I, and, Gary and, Sharon. Any thoughts on Gary Sharon? Um, he, he brings nothing. <laughs> he, he sings in English. <laughs> I don't know. Just uh, Sandman's a great, great tune. I think this is this is the one that I'm going to come away from this putting on playlists, and you know maybe I'll try to figure out how to cover it. That would be yeah, really that rad. would be cool. I mean, I think I mean I am team. You know, like I'm team funeral song. Uh, it is a great song, but I think it's. I, I mean, I think it's just. It's just nice to know this. I mean, granted, it's someone who presumably walked into the desert, but. Someone else feels the same way you do. Is yeah. sometimes reassuring. Yeah, it. That, that's. I mean, that's. That's what we're looking for out of art in general and music in particular. Yeah, I don't know. I. So I've got a note here for us to name our favorite songs, but I think we just did. Yeah. Do you have a general uh, verdict on UFO? Yeah, I mean, uh, so I think there are four songs that I really like. It's, so it's hard for me to say it's a great album. Like, I think it's a side two album for me. Like, yeah. I think side two, like if you buy it on vinyl, put it on side two and just let it roll. Yeah. And, and I think then it's a good album. Yeah, I, you know, like... I would just admit side one entirely. I, I, I agree. Like, give it a listen... I think like this thing coasts on 
four good songs and a lot of mystery. And you know, like that's that that's not nothing. And that's that's like two good jokes and like four really good magic tricks. <laughs> you could, I'm sure, you could make a living at that you know, with that. Uh, not a good living, but <laughs> you could make a living. Um, I don't know. Anything else on UFO? Are we? I don't think so. Um, uh, I mean, do you want to talk about our next? I, I do, but I guess I do. I did just remember one out of nowhere complaint that I should have put in the first ten minutes. Got to throw this in really quickly. Drives me fucking nuts. Uh, reading about Jim Sullivan's biography, several things er, everywhere that I read just said that he was from that he was born in and from Nebraska. <laughs> I, I forgot to bring this up. But never said where. And like motherfucker, where was he from? Just is he from? I mean, like I don't well, think statistically he was, Omaha, right? I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I'm pretty sure he wasn't from Blair. Um, I think his parents are from Nebraska. Though. Was he yeah. born in Nebraska? Yeah. And, like, one thing I read, at least the way it was phrased, it sounded like he played high school football in Nebraska. Um, I don't know. There are places within Nebraska, and you should fucking specify them, because it's, by area, it's a pretty big state, is all I'm saying. My <laughs> area, well, not by population, but that's that's the point. Like, <laughs> you got to say which micro dot of the population you're repping for. Um, okay, so for the next album, you mentioned. Oh, great! You mentioned the uh, the weird like. Never mind, you know, just weird like extreme overreaction. Just all media has had to the 30th anniversary of Nevermind. Um, Nevermind was not the only big album to come out in 1991. Um, knowing our cherry pie, yes, exactly. <laughs> the only the only album that matters. Um, knowing our recording schedule, um, by the time we get to the next one, we will be dead on for the 30th anniversary of Octung Baby. Oh wow! Um, I. I'm going to be working out some shit as we talk about that because I uh, I don't know that there is a record that I have more complicated feelings about and I don't even I actually I don't know where you stand on it at all so yeah I haven't I, listened to it in a long long time um, I I liked it uh, when it came out uh, yeah yeah that'll be interesting I will be sure to oh I wish I could remember what the what the line was that drove you nuts. This is the era of U2 that straddles the line between the Rolling Stones and Joy Division? Yeah. Oh, God. Is that what it is? Yes. Yes. God uh, damn it. I'll bring that, I'll bring that oh, up like seven times. God damn it. Please do. <laughs> Fuck. I mean, like, like that fucking episode's gonna be three hours long <laughs> and it's gonna be half swear words great I'll have to get a six pack <laughs> um, so yeah in the meantime thank you for listening um, I am Keith Pilly you can find me on Twitter at Keith Pilly and I'm Chad Cook and you can try to find me on Twitter at CWC6252 please um, people who appreciate that Wolverine panel <laughs> make your presence known to Chad <laughs> is what I'm saying um, 
outside of the Wolverine panel, we also would love to hear from you. If there's anything about the show you like or you don't like, um, you know, you're Jim Sullivan hiding out in the desert. and the, If, if so, please do contact us. Yeah, Jim, if you're out there. Or if you're up there, it's wherever. Like, it's like uh, Jim Sullivan, J.D. Salinger. D.B. You know, <laughs> Cooper. D.B. Cooper. Uh, if you dug the show, please tell people about it. Uh, we you know, always appreciate it if you leave a review. Uh, a very quick plug here. I do have another show going where um, called The Kraken Busters, where I am telling the history of the... Uh, U.S. sea monster conflict of the 1940s and 1950s. Just search your podcast place for the the Kraken Busters. Uh, look for a battleship shooting an octopus. You can't go wrong. It's also uh, found under the name Pacific Rim 2. Oh, those fuckers bit my idea. <laughs> um, thanks. Uh, talk to you again uh, pretty soon when we get into Achtung Baby. Achtung. <laughs>